This morning we're going to continue our study on uh, just table it. And last week I was overwhelmed by the, the, the response from so many of you. Uh, so many of you made commitments to eat meals with others outside of uh, this, this church family or to, uh, to take up the, the recipe card challenge. And we have those still available if you uh, forgot to grab one. We, we have those available that you can take home with you. And uh, some of you sharing with me stories of, uh, of how significant the table was for uh, your family and, and, and who was gathered at the table. And I know that for some of us, as, as we uh, reimagine what it means to, to, uh, to use the, the table for the mission of God, we have to kind of rediscover where our table is because it's kind of become the, the, the collecting place for all the stuff as we walk through the door. It just kind of piles up and we have to rediscover where, where the table even is in our house. I love the, the story of a uh, family that had invited the, the preacher over after uh, service one Sunday for lunch, and they'd ask their um, little girl to say the the prayer, the the blessing for the food, and and she said, "Well, I I don't know what to say." The mom encouraged her, said said, "Honey, just just say the what what you always hear hear mommy say." She said, "Okay." So they bowed their heads. She said, "Dear God, why did I invite all these people over today?" <laughs> Because we love people, and yet people are difficult. And not all, uh, all settings do, do we feel like everybody fits in or, or that we even fit in. What, what does the gospel have to say about those moments where we just don't feel like we fit? That's where we're going this morning. If you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. The Gospel of Luke is a letter that is written to a man named Theophilus. And the purpose of this writing is to make sure that he is confident in who Jesus is. There, there's a lot of stories, a lot of uh, rumors you can imagine that are going around about, about what Jesus did and who he is. And Luke wants to make sure that there is clarity around this person named Jesus. And in Luke chapter 7, the, the, the first uh, couple of stories, Jesus uh, performs some miracles. Jesus teaches some radical things. And, and it leads some crowds to a couple of conclusions. One, in, in verse 16, they, they say that there is a, a prophet that is uh, among us. Then, one of the hard teachings of Jesus is who he has come to be with. In verse 34, he says, we're told that, that Jesus came and uh, he, he was a, a viewed as a glutton and a drunkard, that he was a, a friend of, of tax collectors and sinners. And those two concepts in this chapter, they seem so contradictory. How can he be a prophet and at the same time be a friend of tax collectors and sinners? Those two concepts come and begin to clash in our, our story 
this morning that begins in verse 36. As Jesus is invited to a banquet, he's invited by a Pharisee. Now it is, it's, it's customary during that day to invite a, a traveling rabbi, which Jesus would have been viewed as, to, uh, to a, a dinner, a, a banquet. And it was the Pharisees, it was the religious leaders that, that would throw these parties. But the problem with the, the Pharisees is that this is the group that they have, they have been um, criticizing Jesus. They criticize him because he's, he's not fasting on the, the set-apart set days as everyone else is. They are a group that have begun to watch Jesus very closely. And that they even have rejected God's purpose for them because they rejected John's baptism. And yet Jesus... He never turns down an invitation to the table. Let's read, starting in verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the table, or went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now we need to stop here for just a moment because this scene seems so bizarre to us, to our sensibilities, that, that this woman has somehow gained entrance into this banquet. But remember that this is a day that uh, long before air conditioning existed, and so there would not have been uh, closed off, walled off uh, places. That they made sure that there were there were always uh, places where where air could could pass through, that you could have a, a breeze that would cool off the area. They dined in open spaces. At most, there would be uh, like a three or foot foot a three or four foot wall that was just kind of a, a small barrier, but, but everyone that was walking by would have been able to see and would have been able to hear the conversations that were taking place during this meal. And this woman, who has a reputation, she sees Jesus, and she sees an opportunity. And as they are reclining as they, they laid down in this culture to eat, uh, laid on their, their, their left side so that they could be eating with their right, her tears began to, to soak over Jesus' feet. And then she does something that, that would have drawn everybody's attention. She lets down her hair. No woman in their, their, their right mind would have let down their hair in, in this day, but she lets down her hair and begins to wipe Jesus' feet, wipe the tears away with her, with her hair. And it's abundantly clear that this woman doesn't fit in. But Jesus is going to suggest that she belongs 
Let's continue. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And just a bit of a warning that if Jesus ever says to you, I have something to tell you, you might want to run because he's just going to, to, to blow your world up whenever Jesus says he has something to tell you. Simon says, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? And of course he sees the woman. He hasn't been able to take his eyes off of the woman since she entered into the place. But Jesus says, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Simon asked the question to himself, is this man a prophet? If he's a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman this is without anybody having to tell him. The irony is that Simon is just thinking these things, these thoughts in his own mind. And yet Jesus answers those thoughts without having to be told. Jesus offers forgiveness of sin, something that, that only God can do. He, he is demonstrating that He is truly a prophet. And that He is the one that is really the master of this table. And the table is open regardless of your past. Regardless of this woman's past, she has been included into the fellowship of this table. Breaking all social barriers and boundaries. The, 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 the women would not have been included in, in, in this kind of meal. Most they would have been serving at this meal. Makes me think of another meal that Jesus is a part of and... Uh, Mary and Martha are there. And there's one that speaks up and says, you know, my sister isn't helping. Tell her to help. But we're told that she's sitting 
at Jesus' feet. A description that is, is used of, of disciples. And it's not just the, that she's being lazy, but, but she has been invited to be a follower of Jesus. The end of this story uh, continues into chapter 8, and we're told that there are a number of, of women that, that come and they become, begin to follow Jesus. And some of them are, are not just following Him and becoming disciples of Him, but, but they, through their own financial means, are becoming supporters of Jesus. And perhaps this woman is included in that midst. But she has a very sordid history. And whenever the Pharisees, they look at this woman, they see her sins. But Jesus, He sees the potential transformation in this woman that is possible through love and forgiveness. See, there are certain sins that, that we, we allow to to label and define and divide. That, that we allow them to, to create boundaries between us and them. That, that, that if you commit these sins, then you can't be a part of us. But if you commit these sins, then you can. We stigmatize particularly sexual sins, but we don't do a whole lot of talking about uh, the sin of greed or the, the sin of, of, of disobeying or disregarding God's instructions, Jesus' instructions to, uh, to, to tell the world about Jesus. But we think it, uh, if, you're, if you're wealthy, you know, we, we'd love to have you a part of us, but if you have been divorced a number of times and you're living with somebody, then we're not so sure that you belong here. I don't like the way that our Bibles label certain stories. Because for some reason, this, this story is labeled in, in most of our Bibles as Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. Why is it that she is still viewed as a sinful woman? Why is it that she's still labeled by her past? And why is it that she's not recognized as just being a woman? See, whenever we allow sin to become the criterion that, that we are proclaiming sin to be the victor over people. But the Gospel says that Jesus Christ is the victor over sin. And Jesus teaches us here that, that the table is open regardless of your past. But the, the table is also open in spite of your present. Whenever Jesus tells this, this story, this parable to Simon, that the two individuals that owe this debt, they are intended to represent Simon and this woman. A denarius, that was a, a, a sum of money that was the equivalent of a day's worth of work for a day laborer. So you can see the, the significant difference between the amount of money that these two individuals owe. One is 
over a, a year and a half worth of debt that they are in. The other is just two months. But it's easy for us to get lost in the sums of money and ignore the fact that Jesus said in uh, verse uh, verse 42 that neither of them, neither one of them have the ability to pay it back. Simon is just as hopeless as this woman. And yet Jesus accepted the invitation to come to this table. Jesus is, is coming to this table even though Simon is a part of this, this Pharisee group that is out to get him and they are, are looking for opportunities to trap him. They're, they're looking for opportunities to, to just get rid of Jesus. And that's who he is presently. Yet Jesus is offering the invitation to get to know him. To become a follower of him at this time. See, the difference between Simon and this woman, it's not the fact that one is a sinner and one is not. The, different, the significant difference is that the, this woman is grateful that her debt has been forgiven, while Simon is ignorant of that fact. Judd Wilhite, who is a, a, a native of it uh, was raised here in Amarillo, but has uh, the last several years been serving as a pastor in the Las Vegas uh, area. In his book, Pursued, in which he uh, expands uh, in, in, uh, upon some teaching from the, the book of Hosea, a story that, that is of this, this God who is pursuing relentlessly a woman that, that just doesn't seem to have a whole lot of interest in being together. He writes about uh, a time that, that he uh, noticed that on Twitter he was followed by uh, a group of, of women that, that he, at first glance it, it seemed to be uh, some, some uh, porn spam uh, services. And he shared it with his wife and asked what, what he should do and and she asked, what, what do you think Jesus would do? And he reflected back on stories like this and how Jesus was described as a friend of, of prostitutes. And so he followed them back. A few months later, he was sitting at a meeting with a family that was uh, enduring some, some hardships and they were, they were really struggling and wrestling and and. They, he watched as uh, there was a, a daughter that was surrounded by some of her friends and all of these these female friends. They they bore a, a lot of tattoos all over their bodies. They shared with him uh, about how God was was working in their lives, how God was transforming them. And it was only later that he discovered that that the women that were in that meeting that that were talking about how God was changing their lives. It was the same women that had followed him on Twitter and that he had followed back. 
that they had, had visited his church uh, before that, and that they were, were being transformed by the, the community of faith. That they were welcomed, and they were beginning to grow. Whenever I reflect on a story like Jesus sharing a meal with this woman, I can't help but wonder why are the same people that were drawn to Jesus, more often than not, they are turned off by His church. A few years ago, the author of the the Vampire Chronicles, Anne Rice, who became a Christian as an adult, she she, uh, announced publicly to the world that she was done being a Christian. She'd given up. That she just didn't fit in. It wasn't that she gave up on Christ. She still believed in Christ that He was Lord, but, but she could no longer claim to be a Christian. That she, in her words, no longer wanted to, to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For ten years, I've tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. Have you ever felt like that? You ever been in a room where you just didn't feel like you fit in? You know, puzzles are oftentimes uh, a fun activity for uh, individuals or families to do together. And you, you get these you know, large puzzles, these thousand, five thousand piece puzzles, and you start, start trying to put them together and it seems like every time that, that, that my wife and I, we start to do those, that, that there's a, a piece that, that is, is missing or somehow it got put in the wrong box. And whenever you're doing a puzzle, there's, there's two words that, that sound an awful lot alike, but there's a significant difference between the two. One is a piece fitting in and the other is the peace belonging. See, every single piece of that puzzle is a different shape. It only fits one place. But if you have a, a piece that is from another puzzle, it, it doesn't belong. And we get those mistaken too easily. That we start to think because of, uh, of, of our past or, or maybe some of our, our current struggles that, that we don't belong. But the reality is that the church is intended to be a, a, a place where broken people find family around the table. That everyone belongs And it's through that belonging that life transformation takes place. You are not intended to to fit in. Fit in implies that that you need to to, um, kind of mask who you are. It's like the the, the toddler that's doing the puzzle piece and they're, they're sitting there trying to force it in to a place that it doesn't fit or doesn't belong. You aren't intended to fit in. But you can be vulnerable 
You can acknowledge your brokenness and you can belong. Martin, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. See, the world divides. But whenever we are so radically different from the world, then we'll find that the world is attracted to the church. On your outline or on your connect card, some next steps that I, I suggest that, that we wrestle with is, is one is to, to begin to pray for the open chair. See, the, the table is set, but not everyone is sitting around the table. And for some of us, we need to spend some time, really all of us should be praying for the open chair. Look around you. There are a lot of open chairs here. And it's not all just because of the cold weather and the snow and the ice. So pray this week that, that God presents to you a, a person that, that can fill that open chair. Pray that, that God works on your heart and the way that you respond to people who are different, people that may be even currently living in sin, that, that you can, can represent the grace of God to them. And pray for the open chair. Another way to, to continue this is to, to continue in the, the recipe challenge as we not, not just want you to, to gain more intellectual knowledge about Jesus or the Bible, but to begin to live it out and to, to talk about as families and, and households what it means that, that, that Jesus called us, invited us into this kind of mission. Because the table is open because of Jesus' love. The table ultimately is open not because Simon has offered this invitation and because it's his table, because it is Jesus' table. And we're going to gather around Jesus' table now. Those that are serving, if you would be moving to your places. And the last way to respond, the next step is, is to ask for, for more information or maybe you'd like to be baptized into Christ that you have never been a part of a table where you were welcome baptism is a way that you can can be identified with Christ and be a part of this family and we're going to share a meal together some reflection thoughts as we move to this table that we'll leave up on the screen for a few moments. What about your past or your present? Has God forgiven that you just can't let go of? That it still haunts you? And what parts of your life could be used to honor God that, like this woman's perfume, it, it's sealed in a jar? How is the, the open table opening up your treasures. Let's pray.
Father, as we gather around this table, we recognize that we are here not because of, of our goodness, of our efforts, but because of the love of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank You for this bread of life. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.